Good morning to all the UK column viewers. Um, this is a very relaxed interview that I'm about to do with a lady called Sandy Adams. Sandy and I have spoken on many occasions about matters to do with Agenda 2030. And today she's, she's joining the UK column in order to give us an update on what she's been seeing, what she's been reading and also what she's been doing. So welcome, Sandy. It's really great to have you back. Thank you, Brian. It's, um, it's really good to, to be back and have a chat. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Now, I can see that you're in your kitchen environment. Um, it's looking <laughs> very busy and productive, but uh, you, I understand you've got a sort of mix of a kitchen space and an office, which sounds the ideal combination for somebody at home. Yeah, this, this is my, my garden office where I come out and do do my work so that it's yeah I've got a, a, a small contained space to to sort of concentrate in yeah it's, it's fabulous weather and it's just nice to be out in the garden really in nature just working away yeah so that's yeah. why I'm here good well we all need that we definitely all need to be doing something to take the odd the edge off these incredible times that we're living at the moment. So, yeah. Sandy, what, what have you been up to? You've done the interviews with me where you've given a really fantastic overview of Agenda 2030 and what you see coming down the pipeline, largely driven by the UN, uh, but of course, big business is in there. What, what have you been looking at over recent um, weeks? I've obviously got the. I don't know whether you want to talk to to, to talk about what um, is transpiring at the moment in Glastonbury, or whether you want me to talk about what I've been researching. But it it, it all comes into one big thing anyway. But um, since the town hall uh, sort of impromptu um, talk that I did to address that I did to the town hall, which they put onto to YouTube, which went viral. I've since gathered um, a, a core team of people where we're going to put on a, a, a sort of a conference um, uh, to do with trying to have a debate uh, with the council about net zero, because this is the way this, this really, although we're being, we're being kind of ambushed by every single issue whether it's you know uh, sex education in schools whether it's the economy whether it's you know 50 minute cities whatever it is we're being ambushed we're being ambushed on many many levels and but the one thing that they're really trying to push to get the control is obviously net zero and that's where i feel it's the belly of the beast and that's the one i'm concentrating on at the moment um although embracing all the other battles as well but this is really important because um most climate most um town councils have have brought in these climate emergencies um and they've just declared them uh, climate emergency and money is being poured into uh, climate emergency policy, which is happening in my own town council. They've just come into 25 million. And a lot of that is going on to green vanity projects, which will actually be a total waste of money. And the people are paying for that. And that's the worry that we have. And when you realise that the United Nations at the Earth Summit brought this in to come from global to local in order to take over local government by private uh, public-private partnerships. So in, in a way, central, uh, government is being decentralised into private hands. And that's the problem. That's the problem that we're facing, is that we have literally corporations now running government under global governance. So our government is being whittled away and we can see it happening. Unfortunately, a lot of the MPs can't see that happening. And that's why we only have a handful of, of, of MPs that actually understand what is going on, because actually they they are in they're, they're really, you know, writing legislation that's going to be their own demise, because there will be no government soon. It'll be simply in private hands for profit. And they're turning the earth into a bank where there's checks and balances, and we, the people, have really we, we will be the one, the last ones on the list. The the they they will have dominion over everything, because they have the money and the control, and they will be taxing us to the hilt, because they they've decided 
um, under under sustainable development that we are the are the problem, and so in a way they've turned really it's it's all about checks and balances because the the humans uh, they've got this sort of weird idea that we have to pay pay literally to live on this planet and that's what that's what they're doing and everything everything else I mean the, the animals and the environment is 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 the thing that they need to preserve at the at the detriment of the human being and that's why we're being really um demonized and have been for many many years you know when you look at the Club of Rome report that says that we are the enemy of humanity we realize that this this abundant beautiful earth that we have that always gives it's totally in a counter counter to that that we have this beautiful creation I mean you you never have to give a, an apple tree a credit card do you let's face it <laughs> that's yeah. that's the that's the beautiful creation we live in and yes, it has to be managed. And it has to be managed well, and it has to be farmed sustainably, and do all that, all that, all those good things. But to have it in the hands of industrialists, because at the end of the day, it's the industrialists who are financing the NGOs and the and the public private partnerships. They will be in control of everything on our planet, and this is what we have to make people aware of that this is not about environmentalism. It's about controlling every resource on the planet, and that's what Agenda Twenty One always seek to do it's you know it, it's it's always been to control every resource on the planet and to manage it and actually the planet doesn't need that we need we need good management by good governments who are working for the people we don't have that right now yeah so, thank you for that because you've you've come in with a strong bang there about well it's a big bang isn't it because it's it's where mm. all this policy has come from if i may just let's let's just step back a little bit to um let's go to the local issue because i think this is an important one these very big policies and you've you've talked about uh, the climate emergency which is something which we're reading about in the press it's constantly on the bbc and other big media but now these uh, these terms, this terminology and the policy has come right down to a local level where we're seeing county councils. We're talking in terms of administration in the United Kingdom. We're talking about city councils, county councils, district councils, and even parish councils, which are the very small communities. They are all picking up on this terminology and they're now starting to enforce it on local communities right down to the individual in in a very small village in the middle of of england or scotland or wales wherever it is now you you've come up against this um in glastonbury and also in totnes you've you've had an input mm. just just for again for people that are coming into our chat today uh, new. Just give us a, a little recap. How have you how have you seen these policies coming in in Glastonbury? What what have the local what's the local council picked up on? The local council, as I say, they, they've come into about twenty five million pounds because um, this area is actually quite um, deprived. There's a lot of homelessness. There's a lot of poverty. Um, and you know we have a they, they've done you know they always do good things like they've opened up a, um, a community fridge and we've got we do have food banks and stuff but the money that's coming in um i'm i'm looking at what the projects are going into and the project for instance um one of the projects for the the town is is kind of being gentrified it's being gentrified now we have a big homeless community uh they live in caravans down on a, a disused tannery site called beckery and there's a lot of homeless people down there living in caravans they simply cannot pay the council tax they they have nowhere to live they can't do anything other than live in a van with po possibly if they're lucky a wood burn in the winter um, and several times the council have tried to clear them out of Beckery and they've just literally got the police to enforce evictions on them um, these people are you know are, are, are not being catered for they've, they've migrated back again to that site and that site is going to be redeveloped um, into uh, w using public private partnerships using investment you know 
from public private um and obviously the public bit is the is, is the government will come up with some money and then the rest of it is investors big business and so they're they're creating a a, a renewable energy center out of one of the tanneries which is you know for, for tourists to come and see how wonderful renewable energies are um they're re, re redoing the the abbey so that you have virtual reality headsets to show you what the history of Glastonbury abbey is they you know they're doing all these kind of gentrification things but actually the real issues within the town aren't being dealt with and that's what i see and also there's been an infiltration of um uh, you know, our, our, our mayor at the moment, our, our mayor that's about to be inaugurated is a member of, of, of Extinction Rebellion and she's bringing Gail Brad Bradbrook to the town. There's a big, big push to bring in this whole green agenda and using, uh, you know, agents of change that have been here for a long time. You've got change agents coming in, uh, doing leadership programs. You know, you know the, the whole thing. That's happened everywhere, like Totnes, um, here, Stroud, um, these are major centres where we, you know, there, there's been the biggest resistance, but also the biggest infiltration of these ideologies to bring in, um, if, if you like, communitarianism. I absolutely know what you're talking about, because if I go back for myself many years ago, I first encountered some of these things starting to come on the scene in Plymouth and there were various green policies, um, uh, energy efficiency policies, which Plymouth City Council, as an example, grabbed hold of. There were special meetings. There was a facilitator, a lady whose name I can't remember now, but she was a, a very big facilitator who uh, had meetings with both people in the public sector and also the private sector. And they all came together uh, to discuss how Plymouth could be made a greener, more energy efficient city. And it all seemed a good idea at the time. And I'm, I'm going to admit that in the very early days, I was I was interested in what they were talking about. And it, it certainly seemed to make sense, or some of it did. And I went, on, I went along with it. I went in to several of these meetings. And it was only as time went on that you began to ask yourself, well, the, what really caught me was the discussion was always really about creating a utopia in the future. In the future, the city will be green. In the future, the city will be uh, perfectly energy efficient. In the future, everybody that lives in the city will be happy. And as, as these things came in, I began to think to myself, well, this is just not possible that you are going to create utopia. And then I got interested in where, where the words and where the phrases and where the policy was coming from. And of course, what I discovered is that, that, that these policy documents, minimum, they were coming through national government. But then, of course, when you followed the trail, you found that actually they were coming from uh, an international position, which was often the United Nations or agents of the United Nations. So um, you're echoing back to me what I encountered many years ago, and you're absolutely right. The thing is now grown with these change agents. So we've, we've got a, an agenda which is created externally to the local community, external to this country, but it says that there's going to be massive change in order to what? Keep human beings safe. Yes, it's always they're always saying it's for our benefit. It's to conserve, and it's to it's to it's to uh, create this utopia, this this imagined utopia that they're talking about. But in fact, if you look at what it's doing, it's destroying it's destroying our way of life. Um, and and really, what it comes down to is, in the end, you know, I'm seeing almost a, a battle. It, it is a spiritual battle between the commutarians and the constitutionalists the people that want to preserve the the what's been put what's been laid down for hundreds of years as us having our individual rights and freedoms and actually creating our own food our own you know 
we're seeing this with the Dutch farmers. I mean, I don't. I'm sure that Alex has covered this, but what um, is happening? You know, obviously with the Dutch farmers has been horrendous. You know, they're literally destroying their ability to farm. I think the figure is 300 Dutch farmers. They're now prevented from farming, so they're being. Mm. They're being removed from their own farmlands. Those farms are going to be decommissioned effectively. Mm. But also the farmers not entitled to start another farm anywhere within the EU. A country, I, I've lived there for a short period of time, a very small country, but of course tremendously productive in, its, in, in, in agriculture, producing a huge amount of food as well as the uh, beautiful bulb fields, of course. Um, but in Holland, it, it almost seems unbelievable that the, the farming community would be decommissioned because farming is, is, a, is, is a historic and integrated part of, of uh, life and what it is to be Dutch. It's incredible what they're doing. It is. And, um, you know, it, 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 as, you, as you said, that... Um, Holland, I mean, the Netherlands have always produced, you know, it's almost like the the, the, the food of the world. It's a bit like a, the breadbasket of, of Europe. It's always created a massive amount of food and has done so since um, since the end of the Second World War, where the, the Nazis, um, they, they developed a new way of farming because the Nazis were, were literally, uh, you know, trying to, um, you know, implement famine, you know, enforced famine on, on, on Europe. And so what they did was they they devised this this system. I think it's called Manscholt, where they they it, they mix the the fertilizer with nitrogen, and it it improved the yield. And the Malthusians think that it actually caused the population of Europe to rise exponentially. So in a way, this is a Malthusian uh, pushback of of that ideology that they they brought in after the Second World War, because actually it created this huge abundance in Europe of food and in order to get us under control it's now being taken over by corporate you know by by investors investors are seizing that land and 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 creating their own corporate agri agriculture i suppose i suppose it would be some kind of technological agro agriculture i don't know what they're going to do with it but they're seizing it and it's wrong this is legal this is literally some sort of legal a seizure of land and it shouldn't be done it's it's actually it's illegal but they've brought it into legislation and made it legal so that they can legally take it how can that happen this is land that had belonged to the dutch farmers for years and years and years and no wonder they're fighting back i mean it's unbelievable what what they're doing we yeah. have the same plans in this country don't we because we we've yeah. seen a lot of um documentation from the government which is talking about land management and mm. if, if you get into those documents the the clear uh, direction is that they want to decommission farmers so where traditionally you've had farming families often on the same farm through generations but those are to be decommissioned people farmers are to be removed from the land and instead the land is to be managed by managers, land managers. So mm. it, it, it takes it out of a, a human arena where you're dealing in real people, real families, real farmers, tending their land and caring for that land as well as producing food. It's moved across into a very uh, austere um, factory management system with managers. Uh, that, mm. That's the, the documentation I've been seeing. Yes, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, under um, the, the Climate Smart Agriculture and um, the UN Protected Areas, um, you know, uh, kind of, it's a, they've got this thing called the, the, the protected areas that they have to protect under biodiversity. Um, and they're using both of those to to create what they, what's called managed retreat. And managed retreat is is... Uh, really evacuating certain areas and seizing the land. And that's that's exactly what they're doing it all over the world. They've done it in New Zealand. They've done it in Australia, um, uh, under sea level rise usually. Um, and, and they tried this with, um, you know, in, in, in 
uh, I think it's 2014, uh, in Somerset, you know, because there was a, an area that was flooded and it was flooded because the Environment Agency had, had degraded the, the countryside. The, the reens hadn't been dredged. They'd cut all the trees down along the river. Um, the pumping stations had been decommissioned uh, and weren't being repaired properly. Uh, all sorts of weird things were, uh, it was almost like a perfect storm for a disaster to happen. And people, you know, 65 square miles of Somerset were underwater. And farmers lost their livelihoods, people lost their businesses, people's houses were ruined. They weren't insured, they were uninsurable. It was a disaster, and there was no help from the government at that point when it happened. Um, and uh, that all went literally that from policy six, which was implemented at the Ramsar um, at the Ramsar Treaty in, I think it was 1970. But then Baroness Young put it into implementation uh, under sustainable development in 1997. So all of that area was supposed to flood under this directive. Um, there was such a hoo ha about it in the end luckily, that they've actually put the infrastructure back. You know, the parrot has now got, the river parrot has been built up so it won't flood again. But all the, it still didn't bring back the, 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 the animals because the land was destroyed. So a lot of farmers lost their livelihoods. And they're, they're planning on doing it again um, with the Somerset levels around the Wedmore area, around sort of the, the very low-lying area. Um, I went to a consultation last year and they were talking about sea level rise and how that the, the levels will flood again under sea level rise. You know, this is nonsense. Managed retreat, they called it. And that's what they've called in, in um, Fairbourne in, in Wales, that, that they've if, if given a whole town notice to get out by 2030, I think, or even 2025. I don't know what it is at the moment, because they, they say that the sea level is rising so much that that whole town will be gone. And it's interesting that that town actually falls within the Snowdonia National Park, and they've got plans for it to become a wetlands centre. So all of this is just getting rid of the humans uh, so that the, the biodiversity can thrive. And it's, it's outrageous because it's based on non-science, if you like, the wrong science. Yeah. As you were chatting through, and I was thinking this is, in, this is in, in front of us, it's right in front of our faces, what's happening. If we had Mariana Spring with us today, she seems very reluctant to come and join the UK column for whatever reason. But if we had Mariana Spring here, uh, in some of the material which I've seen circulating around her, be very careful what I say, because I'm not going to say she's actually said this, but in the general uh, hubbub of material around Mariana Spring, Agenda 2030 has been on the same level as conspiracy theory. So if we had Mariana here with us, what would you be asking if she'd read? What would you be directing her towards? in order to get the evidence that what you and I are talking about today is real? It's difficult because she, she I, I did watch an interview with her, with, um, with Darren, uh, Darren Smith, and I kept, could not believe how programmed she is, and it might be a hiding to nowhere. But I think I would, I would um, direct her to a couple of documentaries um, that were made by the BBC actually quite a long time ago. Um, on, um, you know, how global, this whole global warming thing is, 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 you know, all the science behind it. There's a, there's a very good documentary. I can't remember what it's called. I listened to it the other day and I thought, oh my God, this is perfect. I'd also uh, ask her to read Rosa Corrie's book, Behind the Green Mask. Uh, you know, perhaps Jean Vion is another amazing woman who's written this, this book that I was telling you about earlier. It's, um, it's really unmasking the whole plan, the whole plot to demonize the human being and to take over via public-private partnerships, via investment, big business to take over government and to, to use government as, as a, as a you know, uh, to, to dismiss government, dis you know, get rid of it um, and replace it with this huge corporate machine which has no regard for humans um, and, and the people that are behind it want dominion over everything. 
I mean, they're just not happy being billionaires themselves. They've got to own everything and control the human beings. And that is contrary to the laws of God, if you like. You know, we were given dominion over the planet. And it's reversing that. It's taking that away. The big fat book, The Bible, um, which you've, uh, you took us through in episode one. Just remind us of, of, of that one. Have I got it here? Oh, yes. It's, well, it's over there. I won't get it. But it's, um, yes, the, the global diversity assessment would be a good one. Perhaps she, she, it's so enormous. And actually, it's in that, if you like, that Agenda 21 doublespeak, um, where it sounds very worthy, but actually behind it is a control um, mechanism where yeah. um, everything sounds so, so good, you know. And it's like the 17 goals. They sound so good. I'd like to send her the interpretation of the 17 goals, which is not so good. Uh, and seeing how this is actually going to destroy us, destroy, you know, the way that it, it will even destroy the way the planet naturally it replenishes itself. Because, you know, if you let everything rewild, then Man has always lived in symbiosis with nature. That's the idea. That's the way it's always worked. Um, and man has managed it very well. Um, and now they're going to manage it and it's going to be a disaster because it's all about money. It's not about, it's not about true sustainability. It's not about you know, uh, understanding the, the earth like farmers do, understanding the seasons, understanding all that. You know, if you rewild everything, everything turns into a canopy and the sun can't get through. Think, I mean, simple things like that. They don't understand how to manage the earth, but they want the earth. And that's what they're, they're, they're doing. They're trying to seize and capture um, dominion over the earth. I have no trouble with this line at all because I've only read a fraction of the material you have, Sandy. But when I read the material, I get a strong sense that the, the authors, let's sort of pin it down a bit more, the people who wrote these documents, who are writing these documents, they seem to have an inherent hatred for mankind. They don't want people to be um, living on the planet in 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 comfortable, uh, happy circumstances as ha has happened over the years. Okay, the world never been perfect, many people suffering and short of food. But if we take it as, as a big picture, um, the system has worked and people know when they're living happy, contented lives. But the authors of these papers seem to have a dislike for human beings and they seem to want to restrict or control everything we do. And they're now taking that to the point where they want to control our food supplies. And I would have thought that any human being being told that somebody wants to control uh, what we produce as food, how that is, um, uh, what's the word, um, how that food is shipped around the world, who will be able to eat it. We should be paying attention to these people and really questioning what their ultimate agenda is. But the people at local level in those town councils, Glastonbury Town Council or Totnes Town Council or Plymouth City Council, they've never read any of these source documents to actually understand that the agenda that they are now becoming part of has got some dangerous undercurrents. Yes, it's it really is about going in into these places and 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 explaining this to. I mean, it's very difficult because people are so they've had they've had uh, thirty years of, of, of climate change indoctr indoctrination, and they actually do believe in it, and it's very difficult to unpick that. Um, so I think you know I think we I'm I'm getting my podcasting up and running, I'm going to be putting out podcasts and I will be sending them directly to my town councillors and the, the, the county councillors and just trying to do my best to, to you know, sort of put this, put this information out there because how else, and they, they always see it as conspiracy. This is the problem. Everyone sees this as conspiracy when it's the truth and the truth is being completely veiled by their conspiracy, as we know. And it's about conveying the truth. And that is quite difficult 
to do um you know how how do you how you know how do you how do you unpick thirty years of indoctrination, and it's interesting that as you know as, as little time ago as the nineteen seventies, the BBC were talking about global cooling being a problem, and then suddenly wham you know we've got uh, you know they they suddenly. I think because it became a, a financial thing, it was that people realised that that carbon credits would be a really good thing to to make money on. Uh, the whole narrative changed overnight uh, into global warming, and then it then they realised it wasn't warming, so they had to call it climate change, which covers every aspect of of what climate does naturally. Um, and and so they could ev- everything is now climate change. If it's hot, if it's cold, if it's raining, if it's sunny, it's climate change. Um, and so it's about unraveling all that and really presenting the truth to them. And and I just this week I sent that BBC documentary to to the town councillors because um, I've got all their email addresses. So uh, whether they look at it, who knows? But this yeah. is where we have to go. We have to work because this was implemented at a at a uh, at the Earth Summit. They said, right, we're going to take this global agenda to, to down to local. And this is the way we will win it. We will win it in the villages and the towns of the UK and all over the world. And particularly Prince Charles picked the UK. He said it will be implemented right down to the villages and the towns of the UK. So that's what they did. They funded it. They funded all the the propaganda into the local into into the local governments in order to take them over. And that's what we're dealing with at the moment. And that's why we've got so many uh, that's why there's climate emergencies in almost every town council, be, be they uh, Lib Dems, Conservatives, or, or Greens, or whatever, or Labour. They they manage somehow to have, have, have captured everyone. And it's about unpicking that at a local level. And we can only do this locally. Obviously, we've got to have an eye on the global agenda and seeing what's happening in, with Dutch farmers and, and, and everything else. But at a local level, we have to try and unpick it. And that's why, um, you know, following the town hall talk, um, you know, we did. I did collaborate with UKCitizen.org to... Um, uh, to get the documents out because UKCitizen.org are an amazing grassroots organization that are that when they saw the town hall talk, they'd already been working on documents to serve to town councils. And when they saw the town hall talk that went viral, they said, you know, what what documents did you use? And they've used some of my website stuff and some of the the stuff that that I served onto the town council, the uh, absolute zero document, for instance, which is an absolute, you know, corker if you want to try and change someone's mind. Because in that document, which is a government document from 2017, it was read in the House of Lords and put as a priority um, to, to implement uh, you know, no flying after 2030, no ships in and out of UK after 2030. Um, you know, the, the no beef or lamb production after after 2030 or 2029, they said, actually. So if you look at that, you realise that it would be so easy to starve this country if you've got no imports coming in and out and you've got no beef and lamb production and we're not growing anything because we can't, you know, if you look at the UK, uh, we're not producing anything. You know, you drive, you drive miles, and you see a big lawn. <laughs> yes. There's nothing growing. This, of course, was very noticeable, um, uh, wasn't it? After foot and mouth, um, mm. where we went from seeing, you know, just usually seeing fields which were full of animals to the fact the countryside was barren for such a long time afterwards. And yes, it's recovered. Um, but I think for people who, who are still sort of familiar with a little bit of farming or at least how farming areas look, um, to me, it still seems very sparse, the number mm. of animals that we've got in the fields. I may be wrong on that. And the other thing that's made a big difference is, of course, that the moment we came in under the EU common agricultural policy, farmers started to grow crops uh, for which the EU was providing them subsidies, 
rather than growing crops which were an inherent food product that the nation needed. So the EU was able to drastically change much of UK farming simply by going to farmers who had to work very hard for the income they got and offering them subsidies on crops that the EU wanted them to grow. And uh, we've never recovered from that either because, of course, now many, fam uh, many farmers have got in the habit of growing these other, other crops. And we were even using um, productive farmland to, to grow biofuels. So we grow, grow plants that we're then gonna dry and burn because supposedly that's gonna help protect uh, the world's climate. This, when you analyze it quietly, um, the policy is actually madness, or much of it is madness, it seems mm. to me. It's legal plunder, basically. It's it's being able to plunder whole countries, whole nations, um, for uh, for global control and tyranny and and totalitarianism. And there's no, there's no other word for it. You know that's what's happening, and it's yeah. happening before our very eyes. And so few people are understanding it. It's you know because everything. If if you look at it, everything looks kind of normal when you go outside. You know, it's a sunny day, people are going about their business, but underneath it all, this is being implemented and it could happen in the blink of an eye. Suddenly yes. no food, no nothing in the supermarkets, nothing anywhere. And what do we do? We're an island and we're being targeted without a doubt. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, it's, it's about getting people to understand this, you know, and you're doing a great job. We're all trying our, our best to, to bring this information out, um, you know, and it's, you know, it, it's numbers. We just need numbers. And as the tyranny gets worse, which it will, the numbers will come. And that's what I truly believe. I also believe that. I think that things have to get worse. And people have to more people have to start hurting before more people wake up. But but how did we get in this mess? And and the agenda's been driven down to the lowest level. It's not only communities, though. Of course, they've targeted children. So very young children now in their school education are being taught that they should be very frightened of uh, climate change, and if they don't, they don't do the right things. Um, the planet is going to suffer and they're going to suffer and their families. So we've got a fear-based agen fear agenda, which has been used to um, control and steer the minds of very young children. So there are a lot of young adults now who have beliefs inside their head that haven't really come from their own research. They've come from uh, propaganda, which has been fed to them throughout the whole of their their schooling period. And just before I come back to you, the bit that I would add with that is that, of course, uh, the government itself has been openly boasting about its ability to use behavioral change techniques, applied psychology, in order to introduce ideas and concepts and behavior that a normal person wouldn't normally do. And the key document for this, which the UK column keeps coming back to because the thing is so significant, um, was the Cabinet Office document dated 2010. And it was called Mind Space, M-I-N-D-S-P-A-C-E. That was produced by the then Tory Cabinet Office. And in the document, it says, we are able to change the way people think and behave and we can change their thoughts, we can change their behavior, and they will not know it's happened. Or if they realize that their behavior, for example, has changed, they won't understand how it has happened. And when I read that document, which was about in 2012, I discovered it, it really did send a, a chill down my spine. The thought that the quality of people we had then and we have now as politicians should be able to use applied psychology to change the way we think, an adult or the way children think, uh, to introduce policies that those politicians believe are correct. We're not even allowed to think about it. So for me, it's been the behavioral change coupled with climate change that has been the really dangerous machinery.
You're absolutely right, um, uh, Brian, because uh, I, I have picked apart that Mindspace document and it's it's horrendous. And if, if anybody cares to look at it, do look it up. Just type in Mindspace and it will come up. And what's really worrying also is that not only are they implementing all the climate change stuff into the schools, primary schools, they've also... Um, brought in something called SEL learning, social and emotional learning. And it is a, a, it's a whole program to create a very good young global citizens. And it is, it, they're, they're indoctrinating the children using social and emotional learning. And this is really, this is, this is again, it's all being documented so that their, their social credit um, is set up at a very early age. Um, I don't know if you, you know, even even in some um, uh, nurseries, they have things called um, surveillance play tables where children are monitored to see their behaviour at a very early age to single out, you know, which ones are the leaders, which are the followers, who, you know, who dominates, who who doesn't share. All of that is creating a social profile. And the schools, unfortunately, are, are, are signing up to this social emotional learning scheme. Um, and I noticed, uh, you know, I, there's a wonderful woman in America, and I'd love you to be able to interview her. Her name's Lynn Taylor. And she is a very, very uh, passionate woman about uh, what's going on in our schools. And she knows about the Mindspace document. And she's really going to, into SEL learning. And she's speaking in Stroud. I can't remember the date. I'll have to find out. Um, uh, but I'm going to go along because she she's so dedicated that she's she's coming in on obviously on Zoom, but she is absolutely brilliant at picking apart the whole uh, capture of our children within education. She's amazing, and she's she's she calls herself the Liberty. Um, I think she's part of the Liberty Bells, and she calls herself the Common Core Diva. She's amazing. Uh, do look her up, anybody that's watching, the Common Core Diva. She's incredible. And she really has spent years picking apart this whole con con social control within the, the education system in America. And she's doing her homework. I mean, even she's doing this talk in Stroud via Zoom, and she's she's even looked up my granddaughter's school, which is fully on board with all of this, which I got a, an email this morning which shocked me. And I will be really trying to press my 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 family to withdraw her from that school because I had no idea how entrenched in the the, the creating of the, the the compliant global citizen that school is. I'm really shocked. Anyway, um, that's what we're facing: indoctrination, right. very very early age. If we see people in America, and we see people in other countries who are now becoming aware of what's happening in their own countries. What this tells us, of course, is that the, the policies are a global ad agenda. Um, and uh, if, we're, if we're talking about education, uh, then the organization I think we, sh we need to bring into the frame uh, for people who may not know is UNESCO. And of course, UNESCO has, has, been, has been the engine of driving the minds of people within the education system. They've done it over matters to do with climate change, um, uh, helping to groom children to become change agents, future leaders is another description. Uh, but also, of course, um, we, we've seen this horrific sexual grooming of children coming from UNESCO itself. So, this is where people need to wake up, isn't it? That you, you, a lot of people think the UN is such a such a nice organisation that's got the best interests of the human race. But to me, the more I delve into it, the more I see that the UN is a very dark organisation, and I certainly don't get any comfort in the policies that are coming out. Absolutely, I mean it. It, it is a very dark organisation, and I, I've, I've really only found out really since sort of i suppose the early 2000s how bad it was um and i realized that we've 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 really got our work cut out because it's there to take over everything it's there to um that their their policies are there to destroy the 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 individual rights and freedoms of of, of the human being that it's there to override 
everything and um and to to decentralize government and to to destroy government governments worldwide to create one governance one global governance that they're in control of and and they're quite open about this about creating global governance they that you look at it and they they're using of course they're using the world health organization you know the wef all of these organizations are there in service to the un to create what they want and you know we we've already had this uh, you know 3 years of hell um and they're still talking about the next one um and it's it's interesting i've been i've been reading um a, a lot written by this this lady called uh, jean vion and she died yeah she died in in 2004 but she wrote this book for for now because she actually says it will be a through a global catastrophe that they will bring this in and she she visioned that you know in in the early 2000s you know when she was i think she wrote this book in the four years before she died and it's she was a very spiritual woman and she literally said they will do this by creating catastrophes in order to bring in the control and we've seen that we've seen that so clearly um, uh, and she was quite a memory you're obviously referring to um the covid so-called pandemic mm. and lockdown and and my goodness now with hindsight when we look back and i find this when i'm talking to to people i can just be talking to people on the street or dog walking as a time i often come into contact with people and there's a bit of chatting and they will say to me i don't want to go through that again they're looking back on it and it's almost they are more horrified looking back on it than when they were actually living through it i'm not sure how th this process works but uh, i've been really surprised at the number of people who've said that to me um that uh I don't want to go through that again. The horror is in, I think, with a little bit of time has gone on and they understood how their lives had really been changed. But of course, the other thing happens that when people are in positions of stress and fear is that their minds become much more vulnerable to programming. This is, this is not a, just a comment from me. This is what a professional would tell you in, the, in psychology, that if you stress mm. people and they're they're fearful uh, and they're in an environment which, which is stressing them and causing them fear, then they become much more susceptible to suggestions that are made to them. And so when we see that we had a government in the UK that was not only um, enacting this terrible lockdown and fear of death of COVID-19 and, and uh, people being ostracized if they hadn't been jabbed, uh, at the same time, the UK government uh, was allowing its behavioural insights team uh, to have meetings in which they discussed how they should be making people more fearful in order to get them to better adhere to the policies. This, this is, when, when it's laid bare, when it's put on the table, this is um, malevolent policy by wicked, by evil people. Who, who would want to make people, particularly youngsters and children, so fearful that they believed that whether their granny lived or died was on their children? This is, this is wicked behaviour by these people. Yes, it, it is. Um, and and the, more, the more I read, the more I see what is, is going on, and the more I, I realise that we, we're in the grips of, of, of a massive evil that a balance you know where there, there is no balance anymore i mean we we always have to have light and dark otherwise neither can exist but at the moment it's way out of whack and you know you you realize that you know the 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 planet is abundant the planet is it, it self-regulates always has done it can overcome any kind of pollution when you, when you look back at uh, oil oil disasters the scientists have been absolutely overwhelmed at the fact that the ocean has the ability to cleanse itself of of oil spills and with a bit of help obviously sometimes they, they you know they they use uh, stuff that clears up the oil but the the everything has the ability to heal the the, the earth has the ability to heal itself it's a, a most extraordinary 
thing. Um, and this is all part of creation. And we don't need sustainable development. It, it, it sustains itself. And this is what we're being hoodwinked into is that that we are destroying the planet it's not it's the corporations that are destroying the planet it's problem reaction solution the big corporations have done all the damage the destroying of you know all the the, the rainforests of the ecosystems it's the big corporations and we're, we're we're complicit because they sell us stuff and the more we become aware and we become aware that we don't need all that stuff that they've been pushing us to buy, um, then, then we, and it's those same corporations that are trying to, to win it all back and to own it. And that is being financed by, by the United Nations. The United Nations are, are, are allowing the, the big, they've created the, the big corporate takeover of the world. They've initiated it in these conferences and setting up public-private partnerships, NGOs, industrialists to finance everything with the big, big players who, who are around. The, you know, we're looking at all the big foundations. You know who I'm talking about, the massive foundations. These people have unlimited wealth and they are financing the corporate takeover of our planet. And that is the way they will get rid of of, of, of governments who are serving, supposedly serving the people. And we're seeing that being destroyed now anyway. We're seeing our governments not working for us because they're being run by, by, by the globalists. So there is no, no such thing as Labour, Conservative, any, any, pub, any parties. It's almost impossible and stupid to even think that we've got a party political system. We don't. It's all governed by the globalists, which is why it doesn't matter who you get into power, it's going to be the same. This, this global governance is pernicious. And what they want is for us to comply. And it's only through our compliance that this will happen. We have to not comply. And that's the biggest message that I think anyone can, can hear, is we have to say no. There's a sacredness in no. It's our protection and it's our security. No. And whether there's enough people to say no, I just hope the world begins to wake up. Because looking at this lady, she wrote this book in, she died in 1994. Uh, no, sorry, 2004. And what the message that she's giving is wake people up. And have we done that? To a degree, to a degree, the pandemic helped wake people up or scamdemic, whatever you want to call it, woke people up. But it's it's almost as though people have kind of thought, oh, well, that's over. We'll just get back to normal. It is not normal. It's all happening. And even Tedros a few weeks ago was talking about the next one, the next pandemic. Uh, I'm not sure people will buy into that. I don't know how they're going to achieve this. But however it is, we must be aware of who our enemy is. And our enemy, unfortunately, is the global governance issued by the the, the, um, the globalists, and that we can't trust our governments? They're all bought out by by these people. They've all been bought and paid for. You know, they've all got their noses in the trough. Every single politician, with the probably the exception of Andrew Bridgen. <laughs> I'm smiling as, as you say that because um, his. His name came into my mind because if, if anybody in the audience for, for, for our discussion, you know, is, is thinking they're all bad. Well, the answer is they're not. But look what happens when one of them dares to stand up and speak out essentially for ordinary people. What did Andrew Bridgen do? He stood up and warned about things that he saw were wrong to do with matters to do with vaccines vaccinations, jabs, and public health. And then he was absolutely vilified and thrown out of the party for doing that. So um, the circumstances around Andrew Bridgen are a really good um, model for, for what we're up against when you do something which to most people, what he said was, was logical, it was right, it was scientific. But my goodness, we don't want him in the Tory party anymore. That that should tell somebody straight away. Um, yeah. But I, I have we achieved have we achieved something? I I think I'm going to say that over the last twenty years, I think that things have been achieved. It was very slow in the beginning. Um, a lot of people were doing a lot of work, 
and, and like Joan Vion, producing books. And those books were really excellent books, but maybe they had a fairly limited distribution. It was only, I think, once the internet started to really get going and social media got going, that we started to see the word spread and people beginning to share information to wake each other up. I'd certainly agree with you that we need it to happen faster and for that to and for that to happen we need we just need more people to have the courage to do what you're doing which is researching using your intelligence to understand what's going on and then speaking out about it if if we had many more people doing a little bit we would have a much bigger effect do, do you think that's right I think I think that's right. You know, it's it's very difficult because it's all bread and circuses, isn't it? We've just had this coronation. Um, and if people actually understood that Prince Charles is heavily invested in the destruction of our government and in in the destruction of our way of life and in the in in, in the the bringing together of this this uh, these public private partnerships, this corporate takeover of the world. Um, they would they they wouldn't they wouldn't be having street parties and and celebrating him being the king um this is this is you know this is what we've got to deal with you know that everybody gets sucked into the the nostalgia and the you know this that and the other the sentimentality of um of of what's happening and so unfortunately you know we've we've got to almost you know tell it how it is that this 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 man has been involved heavily in globalization since the 1970s and you know in 1990 i mean i've got i've got some details here in 1990 um he 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 made a report which talked of the equalizing the disparity between the rich and the poor. Um, but then in 1993, he created the Human Development Report, which discussed democracy, people's organization, non-governmental organizations, and the need to decentralize government for equality. And that was in 1993. It's called the Human Development Report. And in that report, it states decentralizing governance increases local decision making. It can take several forms, horizontal decentralization, which disperses power among institutions at the same level, vertical decentralization, which allows some of the powers of central government to be delegated downwards to lower tiers of authority, to states in federal countries, then further down into regional and local governments, or even village associations. So that is where we've got this, 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 if you like, global to local um, financial management, where our our town councils are now in charge of a lot of the the the, the unpicking of. Of, of central government so yeah. they've been given more power and what's happening now is that we've got it devolving into the smart city mayors and the 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 directly elected mayors in parliament which is basically the public private partnerships becoming the government if you yes. see what i mean <laughs> i do see what you mean i tell i i Totally agree with that. And, and I have to say that um, if anybody wants to go onto the UK Column website, I encourage you to do that and have a look for articles about global cities by Mark Anderson. Uh, Mark, who is a, a journalist um, living in America, he's written some really excellent stuff about what the future uh, holds in relation to power being given to city mayors. Um, and uh, this, is, this is a key part of the structure. Is uh, King Charles, it's difficult, isn't it? I know him as the prince. Um, is King Charles bright enough to be sat at his desk and one sunny morning he's putting the human development report together? Personally, I don't think so. I don't think he's particularly bright. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, but what we do know is that he is completely in bed with Klaus Schwab. Uh, the man driving the World Economic Forum. And it seems to me much more likely that uh, it's um, documents or policy planning documents that are coming in from the World Economic Forum, which have been helping to frame King Charles's mind and uh, has led him down this path to the fact that we're going to change the whole of society to make it better. I mean, the arrogance of the man is breathtaking because he's never, he's never lived a life that the average person 
you know, to compare with the average person in the type of building he lives in, the food that's served to him, uh, the way he's got people waiting on him 24 hours a day. And yet this man is so arrogant, he thinks that he is the man in order to determine what a new world should look like where others are controlling every aspect of our lives. Uh, he, in a way, he's a, he's a very scary individual, I think, because I'm sure he believes what's in his head. But of course, what's in his head has also been placed there. I, I, I have had some interesting conversations with individuals who are fairly close to him, and they say that he appears to be mesmerized by Klaus Schwab. Don't know what your reaction to that would be. Um, I think with every everything else, he's been groomed from a very early age. And I think he's there to create a, a, a prophecy, if you like. And, and um, he's fulfilling a, a dream of his, of his great-grandfather and Cecil Rhodes, for instance, who wanted to um, reclaim the United States. And by signing the Earth Charter, which he did, you know, in 1992, um, it's, a, it's a way of controlling, uh, every, you know, of putting global governments in charge so that actually the United States comes under the Crown Corporation again, because I think the Crown Corporation is behind all of this, yeah. if I really want to be honest. I think the Crown Corporation is extremely powerful and is behind an awful lot of this. So I'm afraid the head of the snake, in a way, could be the United Kingdom. But in, in itself, it's being destroyed as well. So, uh, you know, what is the Crown Corporation? Who do, the, who do they, you know, who benefits, you know, key bono, who benefits from all of this destruction of our livelihoods yes. globally? Um, so uh, I think he's working on he whether he's I think he's been completely brainwashed along with everyone else, and also he's he, you know he feels that he's in charge of something he feels big because he's you know invited to all these conferences he was there at the Earth Summit you know in 1992 so he was quite a young man he was brought there you know he went there in, on the Royal Yacht Britannia and he was you know, hobnobbing with you know, Maurice Strong and Al Gore and the Obama and all those people that were pushing this agenda through and probably mesmerized at the same time. You know, they were clinking champagne glasses when they realized they'd actually got 179 countries to sign up to Agenda 21, which it was then. It wasn't Agenda 2030. So they were there sort of clinking their champagne glasses saying, we did it. We've captured the world. And he was probably told this is going to save the planet. And that's what he really thinks. If he really was intelligent, he'd see through it, but he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. Sandy, I, th I think that'd be a, a really good place to end because there's a lot for people to think about around that. Um, I, I certainly have no confidence in our new king to make our lives better. I think he's going to make our lives worse. And I think yeah, one of the ways he's going to do that is by implementing uh, all of the plans around Agenda 2030. Leave us on a positive note. What would you say to the ordinary, I don't mean ordinary in a demeaning way, what would you say to the ordinary individual? They're at home, they're watching this interview. What would you like to see them do to make a difference? I'd like to see, um, well, I, I must mention quickly about a local initiative that I'm doing, um, creating, helping to create with, with others um, in Glastonbury. We're, we're going to challenge the net zero uh, and the climate emergency in our own town. And we're doing that by holding an event. We've inv invited the town council to come. Some of them are, some of them probably won't. Uh, we've invited climate scientists, um, AI um, experts, to speak at this event, there's myself and there's others, um, and we are literally holding what we what we're calling the, uh, the 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 revealing of net zero. Some people say the net zero debate. I don't know what to call it, but it's revealing what net zero really means because net zero is zero us. We are carbon. It's zero us, and that's what they want. So the whole idea is to reveal the climate change scam at this event. Um, and we're going to film it, we're going to put it up, and we're encouraging other towns in the UK to challenge the climate emergency and net zero in their own towns. Because there's an awful lot of people that A, didn't agree to it, don't 
understand it sometimes. And this will help people to understand what has been implemented, why it's been implemented, and how it will not serve them and how we need to, to battle against this. So yep. that's what we're doing in July. There's going to be, I won't mention the date yet until we're completely sorted. Um, but it's it's really, it's an initiative that it would be nice if it was cookie-cuttered through every town council in the UK to unpick net zero. Because we mustn't forget, we've got the COP conference in uh, November to December. I think it's, uh, the, I think it's late November, uh, I think it's the 30th of November to the 12th of December, we've got the COP conference in the United uh, Arab Emirates. It's quite a long COP conference. And what will come out of that is more legislation. And they're going to bring in um, the uh, ESGs, which is the Environmental Social um, Governance, which will will impoverish businesses. I mean, if, if anybody wants to look up environmental social governance, it's about how businesses in the UK and everywhere will be taxed if they don't come up to the eco standards that are going to be implemented at that COP conference. This is our final push. We haven't got long before these taxes and these awful this awful legislation along with the the EPCs, you know, the um the the, the ones for the domestic homes come in where you'll be asked to retrofit your own home at your own expense. This is to impoverish businesses and homes under sustainable development we have to stop this we have to say no right. this is and, where we say and sandy uh, the key point in there a lot of passion i know why you've got so much passion for that subject but this subject the key point in there is that because this is impacting at a local level anybody can start to um, research and root out this material in their local parish in their local village it will be there uh, or, or in a smaller community, and by identifying the policy, talking about it, warning other people, um, we can achieve a lot. And you've done exactly that. You're one lady who's taken the subject to heart, and now look what you've achieved. So I think we should say to our audience to finish, if we've got you interested in the subject, research it. If you want to do something about it, research even harder. And when you're confident, you know, start to tell other people about it and team up with others to fight it. Sandy, it's been really fascinating to uh, go through this with you again. And I'm going to say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for all the work you've been doing. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do as well. And thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm contactable. Get me on Twitter. Uh, Sandy Adams 2030. I'll be putting all this out onto Twitter. Um, I'm no longer on Facebook anymore. Don't try and get me on Facebook. They took me down after the town hall talk. So I don't have Twitter, um, Facebook anymore, but I'm on Twitter and um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm available for, you know, for any kind of dialogue on any of this. And I'll also be putting up all the, um, the dates of, of when this is all happening and uh, I'm making a big noise about it. We need to make a noise about net zero because this is the way they will, this is their final push to get us under control. Yeah. And, and we fight the other battles as well, the children and everything. Um, but net zero is the way they're just going to get us under control first to implement everything else. Yeah. Okay. Sandy, excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really excellent, really interesting. Thank you.